Hello, everybody. Welcome back to 8th Position Podcast. This is episode three of season three. My name is Lawson Gardner. I'm usually joined by my co-host, Darian Baldwin, but he is unfortunately not here today because of some scheduling conflicts. However, he is present in the interview. Um, So yeah, I am flying solo on this intro today. Um, So today we interviewed one of the big names in Brass Gear, um, one of the head honchos over at uh, S.E. Shire's company, the orchestral trombone standard, pretty much. Um, And also really cool because this guest today also happens to be a woman, which is really uh, not seen very often in the brass community, especially in the classical brass community, classical trombone community. So that's really cool. you know, that's something we, we try to do on this podcast as often as we can. But I mean, a lot of the time, there's just not that many options because there's not that many, you know, um, women out there in the field right now. And you're seeing kind of more groups like, you know, Seraph Brass pop up and which today's guest is a member of. And, um, you know, we got the Grace Fox Big Band and the Stiletto Brass Quintet, you know, groups like that are, are definitely showing up and, and getting a really cool spotlight, which I think is long overdue, but, you know, kind of overall, you're still seeing this big lack of, of women, uh, of, of queer individuals, of people of color in the kind of larger trombone community, you know, in major American orchestras, in, you know, kind of, um, larger brass studios, universities across the country. Um, but I think it's really cool when we find someone like our guest today that really shines as a, a super successful artist and also can be a great role model for a lot of young women out there that are, you know, trying to do the thing. Um, so anyway, to get into today's interview, we spent a lot of today talking about gear, talking about um, what it means to select great gear, what it means to fit the ideal gear to the individual. Um, and we also talked about her career up until now, you know, um, won some solo competitions in her youth and studied with, um, Pear at Juilliard, I believe, and is now just rocking it over at Shires. Um, so, you know, without any further ado, uh, welcome today's guest, Miss Alexis Smith. How are you doing today? Hi, how are you guys? We are great. We're wonderful. Yeah, so happy to be here. This is like exciting. I feel yeah. official. Happy to have you. <laughs> really excited. Yeah. This you know, is probably one of the more unique ones because we've had, well, we've had a lot of trombone players and just a bunch of musicians in like orchestras and jazz, but we've never had somebody that like designs trombones and yeah. makes trombones. We I think talk much really about cool. gear on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely pretty niche, um, and I, I kind of love it uh, because it combines so many different things, and I still get to nerd out, but like I can back away a little bit from the nerddom. Mm-hmm. Awesome. We got you. Well, uh, we always start off with like how, how you kind of got into music early on in your life. Um, I, I hope it was early on. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But if you could just walk us through your early life a little bit and tell us about how you got into music, that'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, music was always a really big part of my household growing up. My dad um, is a music fanatic. Uh, I think I got that from him, actually. But he would always be listening to um, 
classical music and then also country music. I think my first concert was Bob Dylan. And then <laughs> like he like had me on his shoulders when I was a kid. Um, but music was always playing in the house. And um, I started piano lessons when I was four and it went terribly, like oh. very, very terribly. I uh, opened up the piano and I tried to hack apart the, because it was an upright piano, I tried to hack apart the strings with a knife. Um, <laughs> the rifle Whoa. Lady. So, 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 um, I was not allowed to play piano anymore. Uh, and then, um, I begged my parents to let me join band in fourth grade, but after the piano fiasco, it took a lot of campaigning. And finally my dad was like, okay, whatever, like whatever. Um, so I think I'd stop asking about it. So he let me try uh, band instruments. And the first instrument I tried was trombone. And I went home and I told my mother, I was like, I want to play trombone. And she was like, well, you know, that's not very ladylike. And isn't it annoying? Oh. Like, can't you find something that's less annoying? And I was like, so I'm going to play trombone now. <laughs> um, and so my mother used to make me uh, practice in the barn with the donkeys because I grew up on a farm when I was a kid. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's funny. So my parents like, used to do the same thing. We have a barn really? at our house and like, and my brothers and I used to play music when we were growing up. And like, if we wanted to do anything, there was a music room at the barn that we had to go to. So we didn't bother anyone. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 It's like a barn park out of the shed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I got yeah. to practice in my room. <laughs> no, well, I remember the day that my mother was like, okay, you can uh, come in the house now. I was like, yes, I've made oh, it. <laughs> yeah. Big steps. <laughs> But um, I was really lucky in that my both my parents were always incredibly supportive. And um, yeah, to this day, music is, I mean, obviously, one of the most exciting things that I do as a hobby and as a job. And I mean, that sounds really stupid to say, but it's a huge driving factor in my life, even outside of work. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Right. And the, yeah. And then uh, did you decide uh to pursue like music as a career like uh during high school or is that like late later in college maybe when did the bug honestly um that was always kind of a stressor for me i always had a lot of interests when i was younger um mm. but i was really lucky in that i had so much support for uh music and uh i was given amazing opportunities like uh, I went to a, an arts middle school an arts high school so really arts it was kind of like oh I'm good at this and I like it so I just kept kind of progressing and feeling a little mm -hmm. like an imposter but I just kept going to the next level and then I remember when I was in high school I was looking between conservatory and university and I figured that I might as well just forge ahead with music just because it was something I thought had a much more narrow window and always uh, take classes at nearby colleges or I was always very autodidactic so I could always read I could always like go out and explore um, and I felt like having the focus of music would be more beneficial to me at that time and then you went to MSM for your undergrad right yeah, so I went to MSM for my undergrad, uh, which was amazing because I just I, I wanted to be in a city so badly. I was coming from Michigan at the time, and Michigan was beautiful <laughs> and wonderful, but I was like, I need some more 
for a stimulation. And yeah. it was uh, <laughs> it was living in New York that I was able to go see so many shows. I mean, you know this, Lawson. Like, you're able to go see so many shows, and it doesn't have to be classical music. But everybody is coming through, and you meet so many amazing people, not just in the music industry, but also outside of the music industry. And it really taught me how to support my or how to surround myself with very supportive very um energetic peers who uh had ambition frankly so i think i got really lucky with my group of friends and that we're still friends to this day we went to grad school together Mm. um and i still talk to a lot of my professors from that time as well it's a it's a small world but i kind of love it did you study with with pair at at msm so i studied with david finlayson at msm and then at juilliard i studied with pair okay Nice. Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. it was pretty cool. Yeah. I was a huge fan. Yeah. I love them. <laughs> <We all> love <laughs> yeah. And I think one of like the crazy things too is with what I do to this day is a lot of my old uh, professors or heroes, I still get to deal with them on almost a day-to-day basis, which is, which is very surreal. Um, but it's it's kind of fantastic and i don't have to worry about like playing bolero i'm just kind of like yeah it sounds good <laughs> in a very reductive way that must be really awesome because you guys you guys have so many uh trombonists like around the world just come in sit down and play some trombones and that's probably really cool when it's people like joe alessi marshall carl william like all those people is oh, i can't imagine that's awesome yeah well sasha romero came in my first week on the job and I was like what (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but yeah I think um at this point uh if you just they're just they're just trying to do the best they can as we're trying to do the best we can and it's such a wonderful community and it's so supportive that you just want to make everyone's job as easy as possible at the end of the day so I always say like at the end of the day you don't want to make your job any harder and you want to take the voice that you have in your head and be able to bring it across the stage in the most efficient and the easiest way possible. And if you just approach it by being like, let's solve this puzzle together, then you kind of lose focus of like, Oh, I used to listen to his albums when I was like 12. Um, <laughs> and to this day, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. It is surreal when you think about it. Mm-hmm. I feel very lucky. Well, before we get like down into the weeds with the Shire stuff, I I want to ask. Uh, I mean, we usually do this towards the back end of the interview, but I kind of want to take this up front. Is like, what are? I mean, you, you showed us your cat earlier, um, but what are, <laughs> what are what are some of your uh, your interests and hobbies outside of music? Um, yeah, I I I have a lot of interests outside of music. Um, I read a lot, but what I've been lately doing is uh, I'm in a competitive axe throwing league. And I also Whoa. play Muay Thai. <laughs> and um, I also go to a lot of live music shows, but not necessarily classical. Like I go to a lot of like underground metal shows and um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> wow. That's so unexpected. That's so unexpected. <laughs> that, that is the most out of, out of left field answer we've gotten to that question, I think. Yeah. yeah. Actually, is it up here? No, I have an X throwing trophy somewhere. <laughs> oh my gosh so Sorry, nobody get but... in a fight with alexis that's what i'm hearing someone <laughs> sent me an axe and i have it on my desk i have my desk axe Ooh. i also um 
once was asking a cop for direction. I shouldn't say this on the podcast, but whatever. I once was asking a cop for directions, and um, the night before, I tried doing a trick shot with an axe, and it went badly, so it's covered in blood. And I realized that it was sitting on the front seat of my car when I was talking to this cop. And so then I got hood searched. <laughs> I was like, I see how this looks bad. <laughs> But there's an explanation. That's so funny. My um yeah. my roommate has this trophy. He he shows everyone. It says um Salvation Army 2015 Boys Games Room Tournament Connect Four first place. So he was uh when he was like um I don't remember 2015. So that must have been like fifth grade. Um he was the the, <laughs> the state champion for Connect Four in his boys and girls club. I don't know. I I I guess the uh, yeah, he's good at it. Um Hey, you know, um I don't even know what to say that. That's awesome. Yeah. Sorry. I I don't maybe there's no point in bringing, bringing that no, up. No, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> now now someone has to be a Jenga champion or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, if there are like if there are like Rubik's Cube competitions, like I there's got to be that stuff for everything. Oh, I'm sure there are. Like I'm sure there's some, like an international Jenga lead or something. When? Like, <laughs> when the, the international Jenga league? Just when? That's the only. Well, that's that should do, just like ITF should now have a night dedicated to Connect Four and Jenga. Oh my gosh! Oh, game night. Yeah. Can you yeah. imagine well, we playing Jenga with Joe Alessio? Well, so I went throwing with Joe. <laughs> and, uh, it was like. It was amazing. It was so Nick Schwartz um, really wanted to put together axe throwing. Like he'd seen me throw and we're like, we're going to go axe throwing in Columbus. And so we got like, and it turned, people would come up to me and be like, so I heard about this axe throwing. Can I come? I was like, oh, okay. And so it ended up being like 50 people. Yeah. So it was like George Curran. It was Joe. It was Megumi who like, I think she got a bullseye on her first try. And I was like, of course, like you're amazing. (laughs) And it was everybody. And I was just looking around the bar like, oh my God, if something goes wrong, there's going to be a lot of work. Oh my god! But, but no, it was a lot of fun, and now it's on Instagram. Oh, that. I think they're like on my Instagram. Yeah, Jim Nova yeah. posted that one picture with Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a tremendous. So are really fun people. The hang is so yes. great. I mean, we we just we just interviewed Justin Cook before before this oh, one. Oh, he's awesome. Um, and we just we talked a lot about about ITF and like how just how great the hang is. You know, yeah, so many great people, yeah. especially at, like well, those late night jazz sessions. Like, they're fantastic, and I've I've thought about this a lot because I've started having to go to uh, trumpet conferences, uh, euphonium tuba conferences, soon to be horn conferences, and like just trombone players are just a really awesome group of people. And I always tell people like just be nice, just be nice. You never know where work is going to come from. You never know where someone's going to turn up. Um, I've had people reach out to me this year that I've known since I was in high school. My first call when I got to Shires was one of my really close friends from high school and we like lost touch. And then my desk phone rang. I figured out how to answer it because it was the first call I'd ever gotten. And I was like, wait, what? Um, So the music (laughs) world is really small and I feel 
like really fortunate to be with trombone players because they're all pretty awesome people. Yeah, yeah. All connected too. It's just like a giant. Everybody's web. connected, and it's ever expanding too. Everybody's connected, but it's cool because I think that way you just get some really wonderful, really vibrant people. You know, it weeds out a lot of the drama that you might get in other industries. And so it just turns out there are people who just, they're like, I want to play music. And if you want to do that as well, like, that's great. Let's share it. And I think there's this really beautiful joy and enthusiasm that you don't find in a lot of other communities. Yeah. Man, I love that. Let's um, yeah. let's talk about Shires. <laughs> yeah, um, what's that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Something that like some the English wrote about. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, how did you initially get involved with Steve, and and I mean, how did how did everything come about with that? Yeah. So uh, 2012, I actually won my Shires at FTX. And oh, that's I'd right. Always, yeah. Yeah. So I won the uh, solo competition. And I'd always heard about Shars. You know, when you're a kid, you hear about certain brands and you're always like, oh, one day, one day, maybe. And I wanted to switch horns from the one that I was at at the time. But I was like, I can't, you know, afford a Shars. So I was like, well, what if I play pretty? Uh, so I went down to SDS and I was fortunate enough to win. Uh, I was fit for the horn by Wes Hopper, actually. Oh, and wow. uh, then many, many years later, uh, I took a gig actually with Sam Lane um, and she gave me a ride home. Who's uh, Sam Lane, who's the director of Shires. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she gave me a ride home and she was just talking about uh, working at Shires and how much she loved it. And just like her enthusiasm was just palpable. It was amazing. And I had never been an equipment person. Like I vaguely knew I played a Shires. I knew that it was a tenor. Like that was really, <laughs> I never thought about it. I was just like, yeah, it works. It does what I need it to do. I like it. Um, and a couple months later, the job opened up and I was living at Boston, in Boston at the time. And I looked through the requirements or what they were looking for. And I realized I had a lot of experience. Like I used to work international restaurant franchising. I used to work as a PR representative for an artist management company. I did some artist management work. Um, so I had a lot of other skills that actually work perfectly with the job now. But the thing that I didn't know was equipment, which is ironic. So I approached it as I think you would an audition, like my orchestral training, like really, really kicked in, which was awesome because at that point I knew that I didn't want to be a performer. Uh, and I wanted to do something that was music adjacent, but not practicing all the time, not doing the orchestral mm -hmm. audition route, which was something I'd always struggled with through undergrad, even grad school, uh, took some time off toured which was awesome but it really got me back into music but still even in uh getting my doctorate I was like I, I don't know how this is all gonna fit together so I studied equipment a lot I memorized the website I memorized all the specs that are on the website I would watch YouTube videos of people talking about sound because I didn't know really how to talk about sound so I would write down I had a binder of words that people would use to describe sound I used to come up with like, oh, someone comes in and they have uh, their articulation isn't great, but they have beautiful slurs, but they're playing this like second trombone in an orchestra with this kind of hall. Like what could be beneficial? And I'd like try and construct uh, components that would fit together. 
uh, just as like thought experiments, I, I wouldn't say bullied, but I forcefully asked to go with friends to fitting appointments, whether it was like at our local music store or like regardless of the instrument. And I just really studied. I studied as much as I could. And then I, I went a little crazy and I um, bought the website, iplayshires.com. Oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> because I, I, I came up with like a, a five-year plan. Like I was so excited to, by the time it came to the actual interview process, I was so excited to just show off everything that I knew. And I was excited to be like, please let me just talk and play and describe mm-hmm. sound, which I think when it comes to recitals and auditions, like that's really the stage that you should be at being like, I feel so confident and I'm so excited to show you what I've been working on and what I've been training for. Um, And so that ended up being a great experience. And I ended up getting the job. Uh, Ring, 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 spoiler alert. Uh, So I got the job. (laughs) Uh, And I, I feel so unbelievably fortunate, but really the work that I put in for the few months before, for the interview was, I think, the kind of work that I'd learned about through audition prep. Mm. So I even had um, mock interviews with uh, some just purely business people. And they'd be like, no, you can't say this. You can't do this. This is how you have to walk in. This, These are the words that you should be saying. Uh, and it was a completely different way to think about it. I, it was completely different from the music industry, which was very, very helpful. I had people look over my resumes who weren't in the music industry. Uh, and I think just being that level of prepared made it so that, again, when I walked into the interview, I was like, this job is mine to lose. So now That's I awesome. work for Charis. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I do love how everything kind of like connected with each other too, like all of your experiences with music in the past and then a bunch of new studying with business people and actually like combining all elements of that. That so it seems like everything sort of coalesced in just the right way. Oh, yeah. It really did. Like it's almost stupid <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I I feel very 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 fortunate. And then everyone I work with is incredibly supportive and because it's such a small team, we've all adapted to each other's strengths and quirks. And so I really, I think, walked into a perfect situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then yeah, if so. you don't mind me asking, what is the mm-hmm. position you're in for Shires? Because I feel like you do everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Well, that's also like one of the cool things about being part of such a small team mm-hmm. uh, is that you get to do a little bit of everything. Uh, sometimes the hard part about that is you have a lot of spinning plates. But, um, so what all my primary responsibility is whenever anyone is looking for a new horn, they'll make an appointment and come to the factory. And then I work with all of them. So whether, uh, if Darren Lawson, if you guys wanted to come in, I'd work with you. If Joe's coming in, I'll work with Joe, uh, kind of all across the board and I'll do obviously trombone, uh, but also trumpet, euphonium. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be there. I hope. I mean, knock on wood i think that's real wood actually so, awesome. <laughs> um so uh yeah so that's my primary responsibility is all showroom appointments we also do virtual appointments so if say you're in uh we had someone from finland the other day and so we talked through all of those things um and then also sam and i tag team the social media 
So creating content, making sure that we're like scouring the internet, trying to support our artists as much as possible through just being like, hey, this is going to be an amazing recording or hey, this is going to be an amazing recital. Uh, what are the other things I do? Playtest. Um, I feel like there's a lot more actually. It's all like completely just, I've forgotten all of it now. I forgot what I do for work. Uh, all the correspondence. If you email the info email box, that's me. That's responding to them. Um, but yeah, so so it ends up being quite a bit. But again, it's one of those things that I feel like if I have questions, I can talk to someone else. Or if there's something that I feel more suited for, like we're so flexible or something I'm not great at, like we also pivot as a team. So it's really great in that respect. Hmm. So, oh, I mean, trade shows. I go to trade shows. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so when you're, um, when you're fitting someone for, for equipment, what are some of the things that you're looking for, listening for? Like how, how do you best suit someone for, for the equipment that's best for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I think about where they're coming from and where they want to go. So for instance, like if they're like, hey, I'm on this instrument and I love it's hard without specifics. But at the end of the day, again, it comes down to I'm looking to find the best combination to make it as easy as possible for you to play. And some of that is uh, visual, like seeing how someone is using like their face. So I always tell people to come in with their horn that they're currently on. So you can really establish a baseline. And from there, we focus on the most basic things. It'll be like a Roshu and a scale, like really basic things. Like don't come in with Creston. Don't come in, you know, playing like pines or fountains. Um, like don't do that. Uh, it's really the most basic thing. And then it's just, it's really just step by step. It's just a big sound puzzle, I think of it as. So I always like to start with the valve. Um, because I feel like the valve is really the heart of the instrument. And one thing that I didn't realize was how much it affects the feel of the horn and the sound of the horn, as well as the articulations. So everything else on the instrument kind of modifies aspects of that, but the valve deals with all of it. So if someone is like, you know, my horn feels really tight. Usually it's probably going to be the valve. The valve is probably going to be a little too small. Um, and so base or someone's like, you know, I really wish that I had a little bit more resonance. That's a little bit more open-ended. Like maybe it's actually, maybe it's the valve, but maybe it's also the bell. So you start to get a feel for, um, where you should start your plan of attack. But the cool thing is that everybody's different and you, equipment is just like, generally this happens, generally that happens, but you never really know until someone tries something out. And then from there you just adapt. So I always like starting with the valve. Um, finding, is this better? Is this worse? Is this better? Is this worse? Mm -hmm. It's just like taking something that could very easily and understandably be overwhelming and breaking it down to as basic as possible. And then from there, from asking questions, uh, you can really start to navigate and steer the conversation. And um, one of the things that I try to do is obviously we have a ton of equipment is I try to steer in particular directions, but I also want to make it so they think that they're coming up with the combinations when really I'm just like, oh. how is this? Um, because secret. at the end, <laughs> I know my secrets are out because at the end of the day, when you think about it, like you're going to be spending more time with your horn than most people 
like then your significant mm. other, then your teacher, like it's going to just be you and the horn in a practice room. And that's going to be kind of your the rest of life. So you really want to be comfortable with it. You want to feel like you made the right decision. And so if I can um, make it so you're led to the correct decision without getting super overwhelmed, because then at, at some point your brain just starts to melt, your ears start to melt. So if we tried everything, like you would just be like a shivering husk in a corner. Um, so <laughs> we try to avoid that um, unless I'm in a bad mood. But we try to avoid that. And then um, from the valve, I like to go to the slide because the slide really starts to focus articulation. It also modifies the feel and the sound a little bit, but it's really like, can we get a nice, clear attack? And that's something that's super objective. So once you have like this horn, it feels good. I can get a nice sound to it. And uh, my attack has a crispness and a nimbleness to it without getting woofy, then I like to go to the bell. And the bell to me is like the soul of the instrument. It has all of the intangibles, the resonance, the sparkle, the shimmer. And that can actually be quite a bit more difficult because at that point it's so subjective. And you might at the end be faced with two different bells and neither one is necessarily better or worse than the other. They're just a little bit different. But I think that's where a lot of people get their signature sound is just the bell and how they're able to like play with that and the malleability of color. And it's really beautiful. Um, so the bell to me is the soul of the instrument. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's when you can really become like an artist. That sounds cheesy, but yeah. And then from there you have the tuning slide and lead pipe. And that kind of just takes everything from 90% or even 95% and really solidifies it to a hundred percent. Um, but if you approach it in a way that's very methodical, you just change one variable at a time, then it's really just a puzzle. It's just a sound Sudoku. Um, and it's so much fun, I think. Obviously, for like trumpet, it's a little bit more straightforward. But for trombone, like there's a lot of um, really exciting aspects to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that made me think of so many things for my trombone and I'm now I know exactly well not exactly but now I know what I should be like maybe looking for instead or when I eventually go and try to get my own trombone in the future and then that yeah. also um I was wondering about this because I want to say Lawson it was Brian that talked about blindfolding himself yeah yeah he yeah. did do you yeah do you recommend that strategy for like um getting fitted for trombones do you like recommend like the blindfold thing because he said it turned out pretty funny how he just ended up on like the same kind of trombone <laughs> anyways but I was curious about um, that. I you know I try not to tell people what they're on anyways even if they're not blindfolded uh I try not to tell people what they're on until the very end there's like a big reveal um mm -hmm. because you know it's easy to walk in and be like oh I want a call-in model or oh I want I want um a Joe model like that's super easy to walk in but at the end of the day that might not be the right horn for you so I'd rather someone just play something and be like, you know what? This feels amazing. This sounds amazing. And that's the right horn for them. Because again, it all comes back to how does it feel? Does it feel easy? Does it feel hard? Do you like the sound? What don't you like about the sound? And, you know, at the end of the day, you're your own person. There's only one Darian Baldwin. There's only one Lawson Gardner. And maybe your horn resembles some of these artist models because they are very, very, very well designed to balance everything. But there could be tweaks. 
And so I think if you go in being like, I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that, you're going to just do a disservice to yourself. So in terms of blindfolding, I think it depends on the person. Um, um, if you know that you're going to be like, I really want the Colin Williams Bell or bust, maybe blindfold. Nice. Um, something I want to ask about <clears throat> is this new French horn that's, uh, uh, that, that's in the French books. Horn. Darian, Darian's not a biggest French horn fan. When, when we lived together, we, we talked a lot about that. Um, oh, no. Yeah. I but, feel like no, all no, French horn that, players that need a hug. Good. Like, their job is so stressful. The more I learn about <laughs> horn, the more I'm just like, what? This makes no sense. Like, everything about it is hard. I think it's just for masochists. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what's... Uh, what's What's the deal with that? When did that start going into production? And I mean, is there a, a sort of a, a, oh my God, of course I'm forgetting what I want to say right now. Um, an ETA for that, that horn hitting the market. Yeah. So it's still very much in development. Uh, we have some incredible prototypes. We're doing a lot of R and D work. So I would say I, we don't really have an ETA right now just because we really would rather get it right than adhere to a strict schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't say anything about ETAs, but what I can say is it has been a joy to be able to hear excerpts other than ride. Um, but also <laughs> like horn, the R and D process for horn has also taught us a lot about uh, the manufacturing process also for trombones and things that we might want to incorporate in the future in the manufacturing process that can make things easy or more interesting at least. Um, so unfortunately I can't talk about it, but right. what I am saying is the research that we've done for the horn and a lot of the development that we've done for the horn will not just have implications for the horn. It'll actually have implications for our manufacturing processes as a whole. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's been question. really fun. Yeah. <laughs> this one might be, this one might also be pooling, but how's that contrabass trombone coming along? Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> we got so delayed because of COVID for that one. Um, <laughs> And right now, it's all the focus is on the French horn. So hopefully, when the horn is done, the contrabass oh, will be like next on our list. I know, I know, I know. Oh I man, know. that that, that um, that's the one thing Darian Baldwin does not want to hear is that a French horn <laughs> is, is getting like you know taking precedent over a contrabass trombone. <laughs> an instrument uh, that's often played in ensembles over an instrument that's not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. no. Hey, London horn sound is awesome. Um, no, I, I, I do actually really love French horn, but I'm very excited for contrabass. I think that's just going to be hilarious. <laughs> um, and I'll probably, like, for any playing of it that I do, I'll probably have to sit down or else I'll just pass out. Um, so... <laughs> We'll see how that goes. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it, actually, I know I said that COVID uh, delayed that, but one of the cool things about COVID was we were able to really get a jump on horn. We were able to really, really, really um, make a lot of awesome modifications to our trumpets. Like they're night and day different. And um, that's been something that's been really exciting is seeing all of that work pay off. And so having some of that time from COVID 
we it allowed us the opportunity to pursue things that might have taken a lot longer, except for contrabass. So that was the casualty in that. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> no, but a lot of people ask about it. A lot of people are really excited. So so it's definitely like on the forefronts of our minds. It's a sign. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you kidding me? I'm so excited for the first contrabass trombone appointment. I'm like, can you play that loud? <laughs> can you play lower? <laughs> Do it again. <laughs> um, yeah. So. so, I mean, apart from the Shire stuff, I mean, what what else is um, sort of going on in your career? Are you doing a lot of playing or? Yeah. So right now I'm finishing up my doctorate at BU. So I have a recital coming up in November, which I my poor neighbors, um, I'm sure they can hear me. Uh, so they're being subjected to some really terrible alto trombones <laughs> right now. Uh, and then also I play with the, I play principal trombone with the Southwest Florida symphony. And then I play a lot around in the area, but right now the big thing on the docket is, uh, recitals. And then I'm also giving a lecture on acoustics and psychoacoustics down in Florida for FMEA, which will oh, be that's cool. really cool. Yeah, it's really, really cool. So I'm going to retool that. So I sound more like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, do you guys know acoustics are like real things? It's a real thing. And you're asking me. <laughs> so I'm going to have to like put on my, I don't know, smart glasses. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <Dumb. laughs> I have no idea. Well, switching gears yeah. just a little bit. I mean, um, what is some general advice that you would have for young musicians? Maybe something you would tell oh, like yeah. an 18-year-old Alexis <laughs> or, or anything you have in mind. I have so many things I want to talk about with this. And you'll have to like rein me in probably. But I think the biggest piece of advice I'd give to people is just like, I joke about it. Um, but like, get out of a practice room. I, I think, you know, at there comes a point when you just like, you're mimicking recordings and that's great. That's awesome. That's when you start to like have a great sound. You start learning like really the sound concept that you're looking for. And you can't get that from not listening to recordings. You should be listening all the time, but you should also be listening to things other than trombone. Like listen to cello, listen to guitar, listen to singers, especially, but then get out of the practice room and go to concerts and yeah, like go to classical music concerts. Absolutely. But also go see other shows Go see, like, I saw, oh my God, I've seen insane shows this week. I saw Rammstein the other day. Wow. And they're, yeah, it was awesome. They're a German heavy metal band. Um, and now they're pretty popular. They are pretty, they're very popular. Sorry. Um, but one of the amazing things about them is they put on a show. And when I say show, everything is thought out. Everything from how they're moving on stage to, there was a lot of fire, which I loved but also how they're dressing, their stage presence. Who do they want to be on stage? And so I think classical musicians need to start taking that into account. Like, how do I want to present myself? Like, you can't just shuffle on stage and play Albrechtsberger and then walk off. You need to know how to present yourself, how to create this persona, even if it's totally different than you in the practice room. Also, like, I'm wearing a tool shirt right now, which I'm excited about. But And I was talking to George Curran and David Rahano about this the other day. Um, like tool the their polyrhythms are unbelievable like the things that they're able to achieve with some of their time signatures like it is some of the most advanced chamber music i've ever heard like some like oh god i was trying to count through some of it 
and it's almost impossible. And so seeing them live, you're like, wait, how were they able to be this cohesive? And so having that semblance of chamber music, seeing how they function together, reading about how they construct uh, their tracks, how they go into the studio and record together. I think that is so invaluable for chamber musicians. Uh, Go to the art museums, like look at Kandinsky. How does that apply to, you know, Schoenberg? Like all of these things are intertwined and, you know, you can go and you can, play a solo and mimic Christian Lindbergh. And like, that's cool. If I want to listen to Christian Lindbergh, I'll do it at home in a comfort environment with like a beer, but that's not who you are. You're not Christian Lindbergh. Very Mm -hmm. few people are Christian Lindbergh. I'd say that there's one. Um, So it's just (laughs) going to sound like mimicry. Like I have judged so many competitions and at the end of the day, I just, I would so much rather someone mess up, but say something like that's the thing that I always uh am frustrated by like I want to hear something new something original and I've talked to my other colleagues and they're like you know what I I I just want to hear something different than the latest recording that came out like a year ago so I would say have life experiences don't be afraid to say something like if the the concerto recital or whatever if it's not perfect if you said something and you stood for something that will be so much more impactful so i would just say get out of a practice room and have some life experiences talk to people outside of music and i think that's really beneficial because at the end of the day like you're going to need to learn how to do finances for musicians you're going to need to know how to brand yourself you're going to need to know how to talk to non-musicians whether it's for raising money whether it's for garnering support, there's so many things that you can learn that will make your music better, that will make your impact better that can't be done in a practice room. So honestly, just I would say get out of a practice room and start talking to people, start just trying things. And even if you try something and it sucks, you tried it and it sucked, like whatever. Or maybe you love it. And then you have this cool thing that you can start learning about. Um, the other thing that I would say, too, is just, like, be nice to everybody. Like you, We talked about it a little bit earlier. Like, you never know who's going to come up back in your life. Um, and the music world is very, very small. It's not hard to be nice. At the end of the day, there's some really amazing trombonists. So, like, if you're an asshole, you can be replaced. Like, that's what I would say. But the biggest thing that I'd say is, please just say something with your music. Don't just mimic your favorite recordings. Surround yourself with people who are curious and excited because at the end of the day, also water seeks its own level. So the, I think there was a study that was like the five people around you will be the most impactful people in your life and to your success. So think about who you're surrounding yourself with because it's really, really going to change your life. Um, I think there's more that I wanted to say. Oh yeah. There's another thing I want to say too. (laughs) And this has helped me a lot. Um, And it's the realization that you're not special. Like nobody cares at the end of the day. If you play, if you like get on stage, you're like, Oh no, my dog died. And so I couldn't practice, but I have to do this anyways. Like no one really cares to be honest. Like Mm -hmm. you just have to deliver whatever that means. 
And thinking like you're not special is actually, I think, very liberating because then you get to be an agent of your own success. It kind of frees you from excuses. So like when I was applying for the Shires job uh, for STS, I always thought, and this is tough, but I always thought about the moment, like imagine they announce who gets it and it's not you. Like imagine that. So that would always like compel me to practice more, to study more, to go out and make sure that like my press kits were correct and done. Like I could not lose. Um, So it sounds really harsh, but I really think like that realization of you're not special and nobody cares kind of just frees you from the burden of excuses. So, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's good advice that makes me yeah that makes me think of a lot of a lot of things too just like i do practice a lot but i've been trying um like this past year in high school i practiced all the time and that was probably most of what i did and because of that i like kind of dropped my social life almost and i didn't really i didn't really do much but now here in college it's also easier to do it in college for whatever reason Probably because there's no curfew saying I have to be <laughs> by 10 p.m. every day. Mm-hmm. But um, I've just been like enjoying social life. Like sometimes the trombone studio will be like, hey, we're going to go play kickball outside in the rain. Want to come? And I'll just be like, you know what? Yeah, I'll go play. And we just I skip a practice session and I just go play kickball and do social yeah. things and have fun outside of uh, just the practice room and music. And that's been really helpful for me because I feel like I've gotten – a lot better, a lot faster. I mean, Dr. Palmer definitely helps, but I feel oh, like I've gotten a lot, better, a lot faster than I would have if I just kept sitting in a practice room all day long. That's yeah. what I've been trying to do. Yeah. I mean, the other night, I mean, 9-11 was recently and um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in, I'm in New York and I, I, um, mm-hmm. you know, was planning a practice session that night, but I was like, you know what? Uh, no, I'm going to go to the World Trade Center. And so mm-hmm. my, my friends and I, we, went to the World Trade Center, it was at night, and we could see, you know, they shine the lights up in the yeah. sky on 9-11, and we found the source of the light, and um, that, I mean, it was raining just a little bit, so there was, like, a rainbow in it that you could see. That that was one of the coolest experiences I've had since I've been here, and it's because I canceled a practice session, um, you know. So, I mean, I think that it, it would have been nice to, to get that that... Uh, B major skill work in that I wanted to do or finish that Andre solo but like this is going to stick with me a lot more like that's an experience that's a memory now um, yeah. and that that can help inform my musicianship or just you know make me a, a, a more well-rounded conscientious person so I don't know that's been something I've been focusing on as well yeah it's definitely um, an interesting balance it's funny. I, I, I was like, get out of practice room. And then I was also like, but nobody cares. So work harder. So, um, yeah. You t- <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely a very, very interesting balance, but yeah, something like being able to have that experience down at the world trade center, like it, it gives you this feeling, gives you something to like another memory that you can draw upon when you're soloing, when you're composing music, when you're trying to bring life to a phrase. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's really important. Like the last thing you want is for music to be sterile. It's supposed to be an expression. So <laughs> why would you want it to be sterile and sad? I keep but, thinking 
so many funny situations where somebody has just like come up with the most wild excuse for why they chipped the first mm. slide below or something <laughs> like oh i well i fell down the stairs backwards while doing a front flip and my cat fell over too and that's why I missed <laughs> the first note of Bolero. It'll be some wild thing. My uncle died when I was five, so I, I that's been really hard for me. So I, I, I missed the, the the first note of Bolero. <laughs> and your professor's like, uh, Lawson, you're like 25 right now. I'm like, you should talk to someone. Also, why are you playing Bolero? You're a jazz musician. Play stable mates. <laughs> I remember... Uh. Um, when I was at MSM, um, there, so I lived like in Washington Heights and, um, my next door neighbor, like the guy that I shared a wall with, he was arrested for domestic terrorism because he was building bombs. And so my apartment building was like cased and I went and I went to my lesson and I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I haven't had a lot of chances to practice. And he was like, yeah, but the school building's open. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay that's fair. Oh, that's so um, funny. Yeah. That's I don't so know funny. what's going to happen. But yeah, I mean, I mean it, like, you think about it, like, if you were to chip it at the concert, like, that sucks. We all know the feeling of, like, walking into a lesson and being like, oh, I had to prepare. I could have done more. Yeah. So, yeah. But mm-hmm. music world's really interesting. I kind of love <laughs> it. It's weird. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a quick question for you. And if yeah. this uh, triggers some sort of anger, go for it but what is what is something that um what do you think most trombone owners like owners of the instrument itself don't do enough of to keep care of their instrument oh swab your slide (laughs) swab your slide um uh luckily i don't really have to see a lot of it but like sometimes uh the craftsmen they'll call me in the back they're like you have to see this thing and they just pull out like i'm pretty sure it's alive and they're like it's <laughs> just swab your slide like you don't want to be playing a small bore slide when you paid for a 547 like just <laughs> i would say like i i always think of it as a schedule once a week you should just oil your valve swab out your slide um once a month like wash to give your slide a bath and then once a year take your horn in for uh just like an overall check just like you would if you go to a doctor for an annual physical this way they can make sure that the slide is still in alignment they can make sure that the valve isn't leaky and losing pressure um and this will just like save you so much money in the long run um i'm trying to think what else i've gotten some really stupid questions i'm trying to think what don't use don't use tuning slide grease on your slide, um, on your hand slide. Don't do that. Oh, no. I think also something that's, yeah, it wasn't great. I think also something that's really important to think about is um, uh, lubricants react differently to different environments. So if you're in Texas and, you know, you go up to, like, what is Texas? It's really dry and hot. And you go up to, uh, what's it called? Pacific Northwest. It might be a little bit different. Um, and that's kind of okay, but just be cognizant of something like that. And that's something that I wasn't really aware of until, um, a couple of years ago. Um, that I, I would just say like, be pretty regular about just taking care of your instrument. It's no different than 
um, taking care of a piece of art. Yeah. That, that's not quite right. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it like, yeah, no, no, just take care of your instrument. It's like taking care of a car. There we go. Take care of an instrument. Um, Got it. Yeah, that's what I would say. Well, uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we got. Thanks for having me, guys. This this gave me a lot of thoughts. This was this was very thought provoking. Um, Most recently, the most recent thought that I had was that I don't take enough care of my instrument, Um, so I need to. (laughs) Honestly, most people don't. Most people don't. Um, But honestly tens of dollars will save you thousands of dollars in the end um and also your horn will play better your horn is built with uh some space in it so it allows it to ro- like parts to rotate more freely so having that lubricant kind of seals it creates a nice like again seal so the horn just plays a little bit better um so you're really doing yourself a favor in a lot of different regards hmm. I'm I'm yeah. in this group chat with like with a lot of jazz trombonists around my age, like, um, and one of them, <laughs> well, they were talking about like instrument care the other day, and one of these mm-hmm. these kids is like amazing player, like um, he's a year younger than me, and he's he's twice the player I'll ever be, um, but he was like. Um, yeah, whenever I whenever I get damaged my horn, I just kind of leave it. Like I don't, I don't, you know, make the effort to fix it. He's like, one time his spit valve fell off and he just scotch taped it. Um, like, I think he told he told us like one of the only times that he ever like got his uh, trombone repaired is when his bell was crushed. Okay. Um, yeah. That he had makes to. sense. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, I didn't say anything, but I was just like, hmm. That I mean, imagine how much easier it could be if his, you know, yeah. spit valve actually was on his horn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I'm spitballing, but like, um, yeah, I mean, all of these things make a difference. And I, I, I mean, I don't want to get too head casey about it, but like even the tightness of the screws make a difference like it's really stupid it's really stupid um trumpet players are terrible about this but like trumpet players are a little bit more laid back um equipment can be a black hole but basic maintenance like just just get it taken care of because at that point too you're just in a bad field of defense so should anything go wrong you already have so many things that are very precariously balanced that it 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 just becomes this um domino effect yeah that goes with life too get your shit taken care of get your shit taken care of that's, that's, that, that's the quote we'll pull in this episode for promotion not special just get your shit taken care of <laughs> uh.